Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Great to have you here with me. I'm sure you're going to enjoy today's show. As always, lots in store for you, including a visit with Australia's own Graham Russell, one half of that world-famous duo, Air Supply. The songs have been great to us. You know, they're they're part of us now. So, and we know how much joy they bring to an audience. So we're like uh, Santa Claus, you know, when we come on stage. (laughs) More from Graham soon. We're also going to meet a prolific lyricist from the UK who had a couple of hits as a performer in the early 70s. His name is Barry Blue. He's responsible for a few monster tunes like this one. strange song, I Eat Cannibals. But first to our new music rap, and my pick this week is the release of Harry Nilsson's A's and B's. It's a three CD set with over 60 tracks from the brilliant Harry Nilsson, who sadly died prematurely at the age of 52 in 1994. Harry leaves behind a great musical legacy that hopefully many of his fans will enjoy on this set. Obviously included are his big chart hits, Without You, Everybody's Talking, and this one. Brother bought a cooking nut, he bought it for the time. His sister had another one, she paid it for the lime. She put the lime in the cooking nut, she drank and pulled up. She put the lime in the cooking nut, she drank and pulled up. She put the lime in the cooking nut, she drank and pulled up. She put the lime in the cooking nut, she called the doctor, woke him up and said, Doctor! Ain't there nothing I can take I said, da-da To relieve his belly ache I said, da-da Ain't there nothing I can take I said, da-da To relieve his belly ache Coconut from Harry Nilsson The set's out now This is a breath of fresh air With Sandy Kay It's a beautiful day My next guest should be very familiar to you. He was part of Buffalo Springfield with Neil Young and Stephen Stills, and then he formed Poco with Jim Messina. Today, Richie Fure runs solo and has just released a new album called In the Country. I caught up with him recently and asked him to walk me through how it all began. Stephen Stills and I met in New York City. We were playing a little past the basket to uh, tourists that would come through town at a little club called Four Winds. That's where we met. Uh-huh. And then a guy put a band together that was similar to the new Christy Mistral Serendipity Singers. It was a group of nine and we were in that. And when that group broke up, Stephen went off to California and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I wanted to continue to play music, but I wanted to eat as well. So uh, I got a job up at a, a factory in, in Connecticut. The thing that really changed me while I was up there, though, my good friend Graham Parsons brought a, a the Birds' very first record up to me to listen to. When I heard that, I said, I got to get a hold of Stephen and find out what he's doing. And uh, after I got in touch with him, he said, hey, I've got a band together in Los Angeles. All I need is another singer. Come on out. And I went out to California. And uh, Stephen and I were the band. There was no band, but me and him. Oh. <laughs> so it was it was kind of a deal. Uh, but both of us had met Neil Young at different times. Uh. And uh, little did we know that Neil was in California trying to find Stephen at the time. We didn't have much money, so we weren't traveling around. This was well before, you know, cell phones and computers and what we're doing right now. And so we couldn't seem to hook up. And so Neil was on his way out of town and we were driving the opposite direction on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles and got stuck in traffic right there where Neil was. And so, you know, we stopped, we pulled into a little parking lot um, on the side of the street, started just talking about, uh, you know, maybe putting a band together. And so we went back to our little apartment, played some songs and and um, the band, the Buffalo Springfield got started. We were two years. That was it. Three albums, 
two years. An incredible legacy you've left with that band because, of course, that first album you did included the single For What It's Worth. Mm-hmm. Actually, the very first pressing of that did not have For What It's Worth on it. It had another song of Stevens called uh, Baby Don't Scold Me. And actually, Ahmed Erdogan, the president of Atlantic Records, had come out to Los Angeles to hear some new songs for a second album. And, uh, you know, I played some songs. Neil played some songs. Stephen played some songs. And as we were kind of packing up our instruments, I I remember Stephen saying, oh, I got another one for what it's worth. And that was it. Ahmed heard that and he said, that's a hit, man. We've got to do that. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down it was about that band well we came from so many diverse backgrounds yet we were able to meld it together so that it became our own sound and we were very original we had our own sound and it was so neat at that time because we were able to to be ourselves with the songwriters Stephen and neil and myself were songwriters and obviously neil was going ahead to prove himself as well as Stephen. there was definitely something there was that something that you always wanted to be Pretty much from a little kid, I remember watching the Ozzie and Harriet television show. I just was enamored with Ricky Nelson. And I remember one time in particular when he was standing over a baby crib playing Bebop Baby. It was like, that's what I got to do. And you did. How awesome. Yeah. But when you formed Buffalo Springfield and you made those first couple of albums, did you know you had something special? You know, when we started playing, when we became the house band for about six weeks at the Whiskey A Go Go, uh, you know, no one was there other than the the local fans that were that were there all the time. But at the end of the six weeks that we were there, there were people that were wrapped around the block. So yeah, we kind of had a feeling that we're onto something here. We're not sure exactly what it is, but we're onto something. The Birds then took us on tour with them for a couple of shows around the Southern California area. When Graham brought that bird's first record up to, little did I know that these guys would become my friends. You know, David and uh, Crosby and, and, and Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman. That's how it was in Los Angeles at the time. It was fun to be part of that Laurel Canyon groove. Were they the good old days? They were sure fun. It was a great time to be making music. There was so much happening. Isn't it strange that everything old is new again? It's kind of neat. And and making this new project, you know, was really something that uh, it came out of nowhere. You know, Val Gray came to hear me uh, at a a benefit that I was doing. Said, hey, you want to make another record? His idea really registered with me. Do some of these songs that have touched your heart, that are country songs that were country hits, but let's give them, let's give them your spin. You know, went back and forth, making the list out. And uh, when we finally settled on 14 songs, we went to Nashville and started to record. And, you know, the product, uh, I think it came out really good. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains. Blowing like a breeze Country roads Take me home To the place I belong West Virginia Mountain mama Take me home Country roads 
Richie, you've always loved country music, haven't you? So I, I guess what you were trying to do here, and you've, you've certainly succeeded, is putting country together with a rock and roll flavor. Obviously, you know, we started a genre when Buffalo Springfield broke up, you know, along with the birds and along with the Blind Burrito Brothers, we started, Poco started a, a genre of music that the Eagles had, you know, they exploded with it, you know, so we plowed the ground, we kind of turned up the soil and, and then the Eagles ran with it and, and they became huge. I've always thought it was kind of like the the most real music for me. Richie Furo, you went on then with Jim Messina to form Poco. That was also quite short-lived. Yeah, you know, and, and you go through all this stuff in your mind. You know, we're not going to let happen to us what happened to this band or that band. You know, we, for some reason, you know, it was it was very difficult to uh, to keep us together in the beginning. As much as I liked the original band, the band that I think I most identified with was when Paul Cotton took over Jimmy's place and Timothy B took over Randy's place. What was your favorite track that you put out with them? It, it would probably have to be uh, the Good Feeling to Know album. It was also the album and the song that caused me to become disheartened with the band as well. Yes, I got that old time feeling burning deep inside my soul. that Good Feeling to Know was going to be the song that launched us over into the next level. Right. And, you know, when it failed to do that, I kind of lost heart. It was a time when I had to do some some real soul searching, you know, what 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 do I want to do and what direction do I want to go? And of course, you know, Chris had, uh, had Al Perkins join the band and Al Perkins was the guy that actually led me to the Lord. Uh, he ended up leading me to the Lord and became a good friend. And you were able to marry the two, rock star and good, wholesome Christian, weren't you? Because when you had the Richie Furey Band, which was a Christian-based group, you became minister, you rejoined Poco, and you then had this comeback single called Call It Love. Yeah. We've got all night, let's take a Next thing I knew, Poco was doing a reunion. One of the songs we played was Let's Dance Tonight from a, a Crazy Eyes album. Uh -huh. We re-recorded Let's Dance Tonight and, and went on from there. So, you know, Sandy, it's been a journey. So Poco had new music out and Buffalo Springfield managed to reform for a series of concerts. You know, we tried um, a reunion in the 80s and it was a train wreck. We tried three times getting together and it, it just didn't happen. So time went on. You know, the next thing I knew, I got I got a note from Neil and um, he, he said, you know, would, would you like to do the the bridge school? And and I said, well, yeah, man, I'd really love to. He said, well, I think Stephen would like to do it, too. And, you know, maybe we can just put together, you know, the Springfield again, even though Bruce and Dewey had passed away. And, you know, that reunion fit like a glove. It wasn't hardly any effort at all. We hadn't played together for 40 years, yet That's at the it. same time, bingo. So was there any talk of continuing? Yeah, there was. We were looking to and, and told that after we did Bonnaroo, uh, that we would do another, um, I think, like a 30-day tour. After all of the shows that we did in, in, in California, you know, we'd all get together after the shows and just talk and everything and, and kind of unwind together. At Bonnaroo, never saw anybody again. Everybody got on their bus and just took off. And so that, that was probably the end of it right there. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It was good. It was fun. It's just the way things turned out. As we mentioned earlier, the latest album's called In the Country. It's a collection of country songs done uh, with the Richie Furey touch. The first single on the lead track, Somebody Like You, what did you admire most about that one? You know what? Number one, 
Keith Urban is the real deal. He can play his instrument like nobody else. And the song, it's just one of those fresh songs. I want to have the sunshine shining down on me. And it just has such a great feeling to it. Just a good, wholesome song. I want to love somebody, love somebody like you. I'm letting go of all my lonely yesterdays. I've forgiven myself for the mistakes I made. Now there's just one thing, the only thing I want to do. I want to love somebody, love somebody like you. Yeah, I want to feel the sunshine shining down. the people just listen to it and hear these songs because I think they're so fresh now. Richie Furo, which song would you like our audience to hear to take us out? Yeah, well, how about Walking in Memphis? I, I hope Mark likes what we did because everybody and their brother has recorded. I didn't know when I suggested it to Val that how many people have recorded that song. Have, have they been yeah. a lot? Oh, there's been just a, a lot of folks have recorded really? Great song. And um, I think we did a, I think we did a good job on it. Richie, congratulations on the album. This project was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Hope to see you down there one of these days. Bye-bye. Put on my blue sweat shoes and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain. WC handy. Won't you look down over me? Yeah, I got a first class ticket, but I'm blue as a boy can be. Then I'm walking in Memphis, walking with my feet ten feet off a bill. Walking in Memphis, but do I really feel the way I feel? Walking in Memphis from Richie Furey's new album, In the Country. I love it. Stick with me. Next up, we head for the UK to meet Noddy Holder's wife. I dress down for the date in combats and army fatigues, <laughs> as though I was going on manoeuvres. I didn't want him to get the wrong impression, think he could just click his fingers uh, and I was going to go with the first long-haired rock star. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for hanging in with me. I hope you're enjoying the show. Call me one hit wonder. Curse me to the day I die. One hit wonder. I hit the blunt and just wonder. As a singer, my next guest really was a two-hit wonder. But as a songwriter, he's able to boast a multitude of hits. Barry Blue is an Englishman who started composing with singer-songwriter Lindsay DePaul. I caught up with him recently and learnt lots about him in the process. For instance, who knew his real name had been Barry Green? Under the name Barry Green, I had four records, none of which were big hits. In fact, none of which were hits at all. So one day, the A&R man at Decca Records, where I originally was, he said, you know, there's something we've got to do here to change. Maybe it's the name. Maybe Barry Green is not a great name. He said to me, green in, in the circus world is not a lucky colour. And uh, maybe you should change the colour. So I said, well, what do you suggest? And he said, blue. Let's change it to blue. <laughs> and that's how we got to Barry Blue. And then we had success. And you've been Barry Blue ever since? Yeah, ever since. And how did your family react to that? Well, they, they just know me as kind of fairly wacky anyway. So, you know, they just accepted it, really. So they're all blues, not greens. Yeah, they're all blues. Do you really think it was the difference in the name and the colour that led to all those successes? Who knows? It's written in the stars, isn't it? We never really know how we become successful. I'll put it down to the change of name. Of course, you were making music since you were about 13 years old, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. In fact, before that, my my sister had a, a boyfriend who was in a band 
And he was a budding songwriter as well. And he taught me a few chords when I was about seven or eight. You were only 14 when you were signed with a record producer. That's right. Well, we were playing um, on this TV show. We were playing Shadow's um, cover songs uh, at the time. This was in the sort of 60, 65. I was spotted by Norrie Paramore, who produced all Cliff Richards' hits and the Shadows' hits. They found out where I was uh, living, and uh, I got, oh, my mother got a phone call from a young guy called Tim Rice. And Tim Rice was then working for Norrie Paramore. He was about 18, and that was his first job. And he phoned me up and said, hello, is this, uh, is this Barry Green? Um, my name's Tim Rice. I work for Norrie Paramore. And that became quite a long friendship with Tim, you know, who, as you know, became a superstar. And Tim Rice produced the first couple of records I made as a singer-songwriter. And one of those was Rainmakerville, wasn't it, that was later done by Gene Pitney? Yeah, that was a strange story because it was a song that I'd written and I, I always wanted a Gene Pitney to sing one of my songs. I was a big fan of his voice. So I kind of took it upon myself to track him down when he was performing at the London Palladium. I was still at school. I was just 15, I think. And I was in my school uniform, went up to the London Palladium, knocked on the stage door and said, um, I've got a song for Gene Pitney. I know he's appearing tonight. And the burly bouncer said, son, go back to school, you know, leave us alone. I said, just let me leave this song. I, I, it's in a brown paper pa uh, package. So he let me leave it. And I didn't hear anything for about, well, I forgot about it. I, for about three years later, the record came out and it said, songwriter unknown, because I'd forgotten to put my name on it. <laughs> And so all they had was um, a phone number, which they called, and then it eventually got to me. And then they found out that I wrote the song and I ended up getting a credit for it. But, you know, I'd given him this brown paper parcel with no information except the name of the song on it. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing he tracked me down. And that was my first success as a songwriter. You had a double career, really, didn't you? Because you were a performer in your own right and a songwriter as well. Yeah, I was more keen on being a songwriter than a, than a performer, really. And I was writing some songs with a co-writer called Lindsay DePaul. You proved to be quite a formidable team, the two of you, didn't you? Yeah, we did pretty good. She was quite a big singer-songwriter as well. But we were both basically songwriters trying to get our songs recorded by other artists, but no one wanted to record our songs. So um, Lindsay recorded one of our songs called Sugar Me, and it ended up becoming a really big hit. One for you, one for me, the one thing happened on a second song that, that we'd written for another band and they turned it down and that was called Dancing on a Saturday Night. I was an artist by default really. I happened to tune into that clip on YouTube and uh, I've got to say it's probably better that you turn to songwriting because you certainly couldn't dance. How dare you? <laughs> you can't dance at all. <laughs> oh I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> Wounded? Wounded and hurt. <laughs> Have you had 
look at that clip lately? Well, that was 70 years ago, and I was dancing in front of a bunch of bored Germans, and that's why I was dancing like that. <laughs> I've got to tell everybody listening, you just got to have a look at this clip. Don't you dare. If you don't think you can dance, you have a look at Barry Blue dancing. Amazing. Oh, Sandy, I'm shocked at what you've just told me. <laughs> so you were writing good songs and you could certainly sing them. Yeah, and I produced them all as well, so that was good. So, you know, I was doing I was doing so much work behind the scenes. You know, the artist side of me was kind of secondary, and then I went into production with Heatwave, which were a very big acts that I produced. <laughs> Writing with Lindsay, you had several top 10 hits. You achieved a, a million seller in 1975 with Kiss Me, Kiss Your Baby that was recorded by Brotherhood of Man. That's right. I'd written the song before Save Your Kisses for Me, funny enough, and it was a massive hit in Europe, which helped them win Eurovision. Though it hurts to go away, it's impossible to stay. But there's one thing I must say before I go. I love you. I love you. You know, I'll be thinking of you in most everything I do. I think songwriters, anyone in the creative field, has a purple patch where they're really in demand. Mine was two periods, really, the late 70s, early 80s, and then the 90s. From the sounds of it, you had lots of purple patches because that first one in 1973 produced both Dancing on a Saturday Night and Do You Want to Dance? The dancing obviously had nothing to do with the way you moved. <laughs> Why were you writing about dancing so much? Well, because everyone else was dancing better than me. <laughs> the 70s brought with it the disco era, Barry managed to change his musical style to keep abreast with the times. He co-wrote Devil's Gun, which became a massive dance hit. It was also the very first record to be played on opening night at Studio 54 in New York City. I got jiggy with it. I'd always loved American dance and soul music. I'd always have that kind of inkling to write that kind of song. And the opportunity came to produce the act Heatwave, who were very successful with Boogie Nights and Always and Forever. And that was a springboard to a lot of acts of that ilk. And one of those was Devil's Gun, which I always thought was a, a very cool idea for a song. And it just happened to click in New York at the right time. Was it to write songs of that ilk than those pop songs you've been doing until then? I've always been a bass player, so when you're a bass player, you always like work on the back end of the rhythm. That's the way I, I like to write on bass. I start on bass and see what happens. Do you still play the bass today? Yeah, still got it there somewhere. You certainly expanded on that talent. You were busy through those decades and you then produced for a whole lot of acts, including Toto Coelho and that incredible song, I Eat Cannibals. What can you tell us about that one? That was 82, yeah. When I saw these 
these five girls, I thought they were sensational. And they were dressed up in um, bin liners, all different colour bin liners. And they were doing this routine and they were just so unique. I thought I must write something for them that's really unusual, really wacky. And I'd just seen a film by David Attenborough about Papua New Guinea, where there's a bunch of cannibals that eat other people. So I thought, so people eat people. Well, if you're in love with someone, you'd want to eat them all up. So I thought, I eat cannibals. And everyone thought, you're just nuts. It's such a strange idea that it kind of worked. they think of it they were happy to go with it they they needed a bit of convincing the storyline but those wacky songs they come back are you still able to write as wacky as you did then i don't think people appreciate anything like that anymore it's uh, you know it's obvious time lyric writing has gone it's been changed i'll probably stick to keeping you know writing the odd song tv film that's good you are good Barry Blue, what a treat to talk with you. Please come and see us in Australia. I hope you. I'd love to share a, a coffee, a drink or a meal with you. It'd be awesome. No, we should go out dancing. <laughs> of course we should. Why didn't I think of that? You're on. Thanks for your time today. An absolute pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Anne. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Barry Blue a little. I certainly did. You can catch up with a lot of his music these days on Netflix in series like Money Heist and Breaking Bad. Meet Suzanne Holder. She's a journalist who used to write plays and TV scripts before meeting her now husband, Noddy Holder, from the English band Slade. Suzanne has just released a novel called Shake It Up Beverly. The book is about a woman called Beverly who lives in Liverpool. She's a woman in her 50s who has been on her own for quite a long time. She's played it safe for too long. She wants to shake it up, get out in the world, find someone to love. She does have a love already, but it's a love for the Beatles and for Paul McCartney, and that's not keeping her warm enough at night. So she decides (laughs) she wants to replace that love. So she goes looking for love on the internet and gets herself into quite a bit of bother. (laughs) How'd you come up with the idea? I was going to Liverpool a lot. Um, My son was at university there and just kind of picked up on a vibe there. Obviously, the Beatles are from Liverpool. There's lots of Beatles references there. The love of music is very strong. My friends were talking to me about their dating issues at the time. And I have a a checkered dating history previous to my husband. How long have you been married, Suzanne? I've been married 14 years or so. We've been together 32 years. And if you don't mind me asking, how did you meet Noddy in the first place? I met Noddy because I was working on a television show, a late night discussion show, and he was a guest. We chatted and got on. And then he said something about, should we go for a drink afterwards? And I just thought he meant everybody. (laughs) So I said, yeah. So we all went for a drink and I didn't speak to him because I didn't know he wanted to talk to me. We bumped into each other again a couple of times after that. And this sort of thing just kept happening. Where he could go, do you want to go for a drink? And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. It never dawned on me he was asking me out. And so eventually when he did ask me out, he rang me up and kind of went, do you want to go for a drink with me? And I kind of got it. I then went into a panic. I just didn't think Noddy Holder, the rock star, was asking me out. It was all a bit bizarre. I dressed down for the date in combats and army fatigues (laughs) as though I was going on manoeuvres. I didn't want him to get the wrong impression, think he could just click his fingers and I was going to go with the first long-haired rock star. Anyway, it worked. So what's life like with him? I guess his sense of humour would sustain you through most things. I have to say, we do make each other laugh. And I, I think if anything is the secret of a long relationship, I think that probably that, that is probably it. I was just going to ask you that. It's humour and also being interested in always being interested in what the other person has to say. Whether you agree with it or not, you've always got to be interested. And not as supportive because, of course, it means spending a lot of time on your own with your head focused towards your own project. You know, we were in lockdown. 
if I wasn't going to talk to him, nobody else was. So if he was watching something on the TV, I'd just go and sit next to him and tap away. Suzanne, finally, a lot of people listening to this might be inspired by you and think of sitting down and writing their own book. What advice would you give them? I would say don't panic about it too much. I think I panicked about it for a long time and talked myself out of it. I think if you just want to do anything, just do it in short bursts. If it's not so overwhelming, I would always at first think, oh, I need a clear day to write. And actually, that's silly. Just tell yourself, I'm going to do it for 10 minutes. If I'm not into it in 10 minutes, if it's not coming, if I'm not getting the ideas, do something else. Don't put any pressure on yourself. Just do a few bits here and there and it'll soon build up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Suzanne Holder, please do send our love to Noddy. I will do. No problem. Thank you. I won't laugh at you when you boo-hoo-hoo I love you I can turn my back on the things you like Cause I love you Suzanne's book, Shake It Up Beverly, is available through Amazon. Coming up next, we chat to Australia's own Graham Russell from Air Supply. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Glad you're still here. Thanks for your company. If you're a regular listener to A Breath of Fresh Air, you likely already know that this is your segment. You get to choose the artists that we hear from next. And as such, I'd like to acknowledge some of you who've been writing in and asking me to find people. Rachel asked to hear from Chad Kroger. Ben asked if I could find Wayne Nelson from the Little River Band. And Marvin from the podcast Pods Like Us wondered if Roy Wood might be up for a chat. Well, guys, I'm on to it, and I do hope to be able to bring you these requests very soon. Meanwhile, Dave from Bay FM in Brisbane said he'd like us to check in with Australia's very own soft rock duo, Air Supply, to see what the guys are up to these days. So here's Graham Russell for you now, Dave. I bet you didn't think the answer to that question was going to be gardening, did you? Hi there. Hi, Graham. How are you? I hear you've been out wowing them through the southern states of late. Well, hopefully, yeah, I think we have, yeah. How does it feel to be back out on the road? Oh, it's lovely. It's great. I love it. Are the crowds still the same ones that have always followed you everywhere? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we always have a new contingent, but the the crowds are very loyal. You know, they keep coming to see us, I mean, time after time. It's bizarre. I always ask them, I say, why do you keep coming to see us? And they just say, we just love it. So that's so that's okay with me. You don't get tired of playing the same songs? You know, I don't. I really don't. You would think we would, but we don't. The, the songs have been great to us. You know, they're, they're part of us now. So, and we know how much joy they bring to an audience. So we're like uh, Santa Claus, you know, when we come on stage. <laughs> <laughs> you really must be. You take people back to a time in place when they were probably at their happiest. For yeah. many, it was when they were young, teenagers, 20s. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one of the large reasons why people keep coming to see us. Does it take you back to those days too every time you start to sing? No, because we're always there, you know. <laughs> we, you haven't we live, gone past it. We haven't really. I mean, we have lives, real lives, of course, but our lives revolve around that time. So we really never leave it. Graham Russell, what do you do when you're not air supply? How do you fill um, your time otherwise? Well, believe it or not, when I'm not writing, when I'm home, I write a lot. But I'm a big gardener. I'm kind of like the George Harrison. You know, exactly. George Harrison loved gardening. But I have a really big greenhouse where I live. And I grow most of my own food. And I grow flowers and roses and mushrooms, a lot of different varieties of mushrooms. Wow. Yeah. We're so lucky. A day doesn't go by where I say to myself, I have the life of Riley. Graham, 47, actually f- more than 47 years You've been doing this, and you're still as passionate about it today as you were when you first set out? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, things change. You know, when we were very young, certainly starting off in Sydney, we were kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to get into the world of music. But now we know a lot of the pitfalls, of course, so we don't have that expectation anymore. Can you recount the story for us of how you and Russell first came together? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we... We're both at Jesus Christ Superstar in 
We both went to the auditions. We didn't meet then, but we met in Sydney at the first rehearsal. And I think Russell and I were the only two people that didn't know anybody in the company. We sat next to each other in the first vocal rehearsal. And when we all sang Jesus Christ Superstar, to this guy next to me that had this incredible voice and I introduced myself so straight away we had a bond because we had the same name <laughs> then, then we found out we were born in the same month so we had all these weird things that were shouting out to us hey you should do something a few days after that we started to sing together we always considered ourselves very lucky that it happened to us that we were given this chance even from the very beginning, when we were learning songs, we never planned it. We never said, well, you sing that and I'm going to sing that. I would just play the song and it would just happen. That same year that you got together, you actually went out and supported Rod Stewart on tour, didn't you? How did that yeah, happen we did, for you? Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, here were we. We were as green as grass. We didn't know what we were doing. We just had this passion. We wanted to be in a band together. We formed the band. We had a big hit in Australia. Then we opened for Rod. and the most incredible thing happened. He was the biggest act in the world. And after our first show in Adelaide, we came back to our dressing room and he was standing there. And he said, hey, great show, guys. And he said, I want you to open for me in North America next year. And we were like speechless. We couldn't believe it. He meant it. And we did. We opened for him for six months. And nobody had ever done that before, certainly not from Australia. You made a record called Life Support, which yeah. featured that amazing song, Lost in mm. Love, which found its way to Clive Davis in the US. Another extraordinary event. two years before Clive heard it. So we thought it had all been spent and all gone. And when we found out that he licensed the song, we couldn't believe it. And I, I called him up and uh, I reversed the charges too, you know, because we didn't have any money. <laughs> he got on the phone and he said, are you with Air Supply? I said, yeah. He said, where are you? And I was in, in Europe then trying to sell some songs. And he said, you need to get back to Australia straight away and finish a new album because he said, Lost in Love is going to be the biggest hit in the world. We didn't realize then that whatever Clive said was real. And, but, and he was right. The first week it was released, it came in the charts at 79. And uh, we, we just couldn't believe it. You were definitely one of the first Australian bands that the Americans had really ever heard of, let alone grabbed yeah. hold of. Yeah, I mean, before us, obviously the Bee Gees, and right before us, it was Little River Band. Then after us came um, In Excess and Colin Hay, Men at Work. Lost in Love, what were you writing about there? Well, we were very despondent. We didn't have any money. We'd just come back from Rod's tour of America. 
And um, we thought we were going to come back to a, a hero's welcome. Nobody had done that before. And of course, they'd, they'd forgotten about us and we had to start again. So I just wrote this song. I wrote it in 15 minutes, just about how lost we were and we didn't have anything. Think positive, look up to the sky because that's where things are going to change. But when I played it to Russell the very first time, I played him three or four new songs and he stopped me and he said, that song there, he said, that's the one that's going to do it for us. Are they like your little babies, all of your songs? I think that every night when I play them, but uh, they're kind of like babies. Then they become adolescents. Then they go out into the world and earn a living. And uh, <laughs> for me, <laughs> it's funny because All Out of Love is always in movies still. And it's been 40 years, you know, it's crazy. It's in TV shows, commercials, and movies all the time. I'm lying alone with my head on the phone of you till it hurts I know you hurt too but what else can we do tormented and torn apart I wish I could carry your smile in my heart for times when my life seems so could name it one is better than the next yet I think what they all have in common is that theme around love don't they yeah they do and you know people ask us why we're kind of the love kings of the world but it was never by design I've always written those kind of songs I don't really know why but I always have maybe because I had a few turmoils when I was growing up when I was a young teenager and life-changing things that happened to me that made me very emotional and, and I became very inward. I didn't speak to many people and I was very shy, so I think I was showing my emotions in music. And do you remain a sensitive, romantic man now? Yeah, I think so. I like to think so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit, bit of a loner, you know. I still play that song now and again and I just put it on at home. And it really sends shivers down my spine. Not because it's my song. I think it's one of Russell's greatest vocals ever. It just does something, that song, even now. And it's all, you know, 40 odd years later, it's bizarre. That's my favorite song of all of them. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. I know you were right. Believing for so Five thousandth concert in 2019. Is that right? Yeah, we did. We're over 5,300 now. Wow. Yeah, and it's funny because we kept track of them from the very beginning. It's a lot of shows, isn't it? Isn't it? We are very, very proud to be an Australian band, and we always will be an Australian band. Which song would you like us to go out on here? Oh, does it have to be a hit song? No. I'm a big fan of Chances. I love Chances. That's off. That's on the Greatest Hits album too. But it was never a single. But Clive said, I want you to put it on the Greatest Hits. And so for most people, it feels like it was a big hit song. And it, of course it is now, it's made it one. But I love Chances. I think also it's one of Russell's greatest vocals. I really do. There's a chance you will be there I'd like to know the truth I'll find it Chances aren't too strong The chance you will be there Please be there alone Help me speak of love Chances aren't enough One's too good to miss Chances aren't too strong 
writing in Sydney and I thought there was there's a guy that wants to go out with a girl but he really hasn't asked her out but in his mind he's meeting her but he can't wait to get there but at the same time he's really super frightened about meeting her in the end you realize that there's no chance that he's going to meet anyone like that and he's just made it all up and I think that was a nice a nice premise for a song. Yeah. Graham Russell, thanks so much for your time today and congratulations on being just superstar ambassadors for this country. That's a beautiful thing to say. Thank you. Thank thanks you for so. your time. Graham Russell there from Air Supply. And don't forget if you've got a favourite artist from the 60s, 70s or 80s that you'd like to hear from, just send me a message through the website, abreathoffreshair.com.au. That's abreathoffreshair.com.au. And while you're there, how about subscribing to the podcast and maybe sharing it with a friend or two? I'd be really grateful. Thanks again for joining me this hour. I'll look forward to your company again same time next week. Do have fun out there in the meantime, won't you? Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.